Welcome to The Right Stuff, I'm Sheena and today we're chatting to Paige Braddock. Paige started off as the illustrator for the comic book series Jane's World, and then she became the author Missouri Vaughan. Today she talks about being both an author and an illustrator, her journey as a relatively new author in the lesbian scene, and more coming up on The Right Stuff. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and rate us. My name is Paige Braddock. I have been a cartoonist for many, many years. I've been doing Jane's World for about 20 years in graphic novel form. And um, two years ago, I started writing prose novels under a pen name. It's actually my great-grandmother's name, Missouri Vaughn. Let's talk about your background. You're a cartoonist. How did you end up moving from that into writing novels? Well, you know what happened? I... If you do a daily comic, which is what Jane's World was for and has been for like 20 years, it's all consuming. That's really all you have time to work on if you have a day job, which I have always had a day job in addition to doing Jane's World. I had this suitcase basically full of unpublished concepts that I had hoped to turn into graphic novels. But graphic novels are very, very time consuming. And so a couple years ago, I just decided to write one of the concepts up as a novel and submit it and see if I could get it published. So that's how it happened. It's kind of weird. It was, the concept was envisioned to be a graphic novel. And I think one reviewer actually said, this would make a great graphic novel. And I was like, oh yeah, well, (laughs) that's how it started. (laughs) But that's not how it ended up. Yeah. Which do you prefer, writing or drawing now? I actually really like both. Both are challenging in different ways. Mm, I can believe that. Yeah, because I realized when I started, one of the things I really had to get my head around, and I credit my editor for helping me really sharpen this after the first, you know, during the process of editing the first couple of books, and that's point of view, which sounds like something that would be easy to get your head around, but if you're used to doing graphic novels, point of view is very immediate. I mean, basically, the point of view is whoever the word balloon is talking to, and you can have as many point of views as you want, and you can switch point of view as often as you want. And in a prose novel, that's not the case. (laughs) You know what I mean? So that was probably the hardest part of the transition. Explain that more. Well, say, for example, if I was doing a storyline with... James, Jane and Dorothy and Shell from Jane's World. They all could have a point of view. And basically the whole narrative is told through dialogue because they're talking to each other. For a prose novel, you have to be able to describe everything and help the reader understand when you're changing point of view. Okay. You don't have the illustrations to help with that. Yeah, I realized how much illustrations are a crutch. I mean, I don't have to describe what Jane's facial expression is. I can just show it. Or, you know, if she leaves the room, I just show it. I don't have to describe. There's so much you don't have to describe in words because you have the pictures to fall back on. It was an interesting, just an interesting change in storytelling. Absolutely. I think very often people go the other way around. So they'll go from script to film, for example, as opposed to going from film to script you going from the written to the visual. So to do it the other way around must have been an interesting experience. Yeah, and I now think had I done it the other way around that my storytelling in James World might have been stronger because I might have been more focused. If I'd focused on the writing first and not the art, then I might have focused more on structure. Maybe that's actually ultimately a good thing because James World is very organic and sort of 
I don't know. It's sort of free flowing. You know what I mean? It's not. You never know what's going to happen in James World. Anything can happen because I never knew what was going to happen. So, your first James World novel that's coming out. When is it releasing? June first. Oh, you're making me wait all this time. <laughs> I debated whether I should read an excerpt of it because it's you know because it's a couple of months till it comes out. But then I thought, if I don't, people are going to have no idea what this what the voice of this novel is going to sound like. So. I'm truly excited about it, and the audio clip is on book clips. It will have some illustrations in it, too. It's not completely devoid of visuals. So for people that are familiar with Jane's world and would miss having some images of Jane and her pals, there are 15 full-page illustrations in there. Okay, so Jane's world started off as a comic. How long have you been doing it? I started playing around with the ideas for Jane's world back in 1991. Um, when I was working, I was working at the Chicago Tribune at the time, back when uh, newspapers were big media. I worked in the graphics department. I was in the newsroom. The whole Jane's World origin story is kind of funny because they, the Tribune was very uh, conservative, old white guy kind of newspaper. And so they realized, this is about when newspapers started realizing they were losing readership. And they thought, ah, oh, we should appeal to women and minorities. Let's create a news section that targets women, and we'll call it Women News. <laughs> As if, you know, women just can't <laughs> read the news, right? The whole paper. <laughs> anyway, so then they were like, they did a call for entries, and they wanted people to submit column ideas and comic strip ideas, and that's how James World started. It was, it was uh, pitched as a feature for the Women News section, which I think had a short lifespan after the fact. And um, the comic didn't get in, ended up not getting picked up for the, that Tribune section, but I ended up moving to Atlanta anyway shortly thereafter, so I just took Jane's role with me and ended up, I started publishing it online. So that's how Jane was born. Was Jane's World always a lesbian comic? It was, but in the beginning it was a little more subtle, I think, because I wasn't completely out. It was, it, Jane sort of mirrored my coming out process, I think. Okay. So yeah, because some people would read it for like two or three years and they go, wow, I like didn't even know she was gay. <laughs> That's kind of sad, actually, for a gay strip. But <laughs> <laughs> She's obviously not a very successful lesbian if nobody can tell she was gay, is my point. <laughs> <laughs> There's a joke in one of the comics where Shell, who's sort of Jane the Nemesis, says, you know, don't you actually have to have a sex life to be defined by your sexuality? <laughs> you know, so there's that. Oh, <laughs> uh, wow. Okay. I actually don't even know where to go from there, Paige. You're just too amusing. So back in the day in 1991, you were at the newspaper. And then how long did it take you to go from there to publishing your first actual Jane's World comic? Well, I was working at the Atlanta paper and I was working nights. And so I, I would come home at night and not feel very artistically satisfied by my day job. Because you're doing new stuff. You're doing some of it can be kind of dry. So I'd come home, make myself a bowl of Frosted Flakes. I would watch an episode of Silk Stockings, which was on TV at the time. It's a very cheesy uh, crime show. And uh, and then I would draw just with a magic marker these comics and then upload them to the web. And I was probably doing three a week and posting them. And the, pro the whole process was very organic because this cast of characters just started to sort of evolve. I don't know. I mean, the, the, the concept didn't really gel 
solidly, I don't think, until I moved to California and started working at the studio out here because um, I'm not sure why. I think I just, I don't know how to explain it. I, I, I If I was going to give a talk to a bunch of teenagers or college students, I would say the way to be successful as an artist or a writer is to find your authentic voice and not be afraid to put that authentic voice out there. And I don't think until I moved to California, I had really found my authentic voice. And I think it was at that point that Jane's World really gelled. And that was about in 1999. So at that point, I'd been doing it for about, you know, off and on for almost a decade. So it started pre-Your Misses. Oh, yes. Yeah. And did getting together with her affect the comic at all? Well, it made me want to, because I had a varied and not so successful dating life myself I had lots of material to pull on for Jane's world um I think you know falling in love made me want rom made me want to write romance novels and so I think falling in love made me want to help Jane fall in love but that sort of ruins the comic because part of the fun of the comic is that she's not good at relationships you know mm. and is that translating across to the novel as well Oh, uh, no, I think I figured out what I was, I think I figured out she can't be successful at relationships. Um, although I don't want to ruin the uh, storyline of the novel for you. She does have limited success, I'll say. Mm. I mean, she does order a mail-order bride, and that has its pitfalls. She accidentally orders a mail-order bride, anyway. You're an entertainer. Everything you do is about creating entertainment for others, and that's a fascinating thing for me. You've worked on other comics, though. Jane's World hasn't been your only one. Right, yeah. What else have you worked on? I collaborated with a uh, writer friend of mine named Jason McNamara on a science fiction comedy called The Martian Confederacy. The concept of that was supposed to be rednecks on the red planet. That was sort of our pitch line. That's how that started. We have two volumes of that out. I think it was pretty well received, and we're probably going to do a third volume. Jason's kind of figuring the story out now. And then I also have done a couple of books in a line of children's graphic novels titled Stinky Cecil. And that's about a toad and his amphibian friends who live in this pond that's sort of in environmental peril. And are you making money off of this stuff now to the point where you're still working full-time, or...? Yeah, I'm still working. I'm still working full-time because I actually really like my day job. What are you doing now? I am the creative director at Charles Schultz's studio in Northern California. So I run the studio that manages Peanuts, Snoopy and Charlie Brown and all that stuff. Very nice. But that is much more creative than working at a newspaper. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, much more satisfying job in general. What is your, your educational background? How did you get into illustration? I have a fine art degree from the University of Tennessee. I majored in illustration. So my first 12 years of my career were all done in newspapers, working as an illustrator for different newspapers. Okay, so what have you learned along the way that can benefit authors? That bit I was saying about finding your authentic voice, anybody who's trying to do something creative can benefit from one of the nice things that, and I, this is probably the case in the writing community too, although I just haven't been in it that long, so I don't know yet, but in the comics community, one of the nice things is how supportive everyone is of everyone else's work, because each each publication, each book is such a unique perspective, you know, each person's unique perspective, so it's not like you're competing with each other, you're sort of encouraging each other in this 
sort of fringe, sometimes fringe art form. I've noticed some repetition in lesbian fiction. Like I haven't, I haven't been in this writing for this genre that long, but I think it's good when people don't try to fill a niche and try to say something unique. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? I actually think I might have said in some of my reviews that your books are entirely unique. <laughs> well, thank you. In any art form, it can be really easy to fall into a trap of following a formula, especially in romance novels, it seems like, a little bit. And you want to surprise the reader, I think. So how do you do that? How do you find your authentic voice? That is really tough. I grew up female in a Southern Baptist household in the Deep South, and all of that experience comes with a lot of filters, you know, that you sort of have to learn to either get past or turn off so that you can get to that deep sort of authentic voice. And sometimes I still think um, I'll be writing a passage or a scene and it's not quite right or I feel like maybe I'm taking the easy way out. And I'll read it to my wife, Evelyn, and she will, she'll tell me that I need to make it better. <laughs> so if I write myself into a corner, she usually helps me figure out a way out of it. I like that. My wife also plays a huge role in my life, so I totally get that. Yeah, you need honest critics, you know? Critics that love you but will, are not afraid to be honest with you when you're not doing your best work. What would you do again, and what would you do differently if you had to do it all again? Your transition from the comics to the novels. Well, I think in terms of the comics, I would maybe have... I wished I'd had an editor early on. I might have not published some of the earliest work that I published in comics. And I also wish I had discovered earlier that the key to the, the success of James World, or the key to sort of solidifying the cast, was tension. And I think that's the same thing in prose writing also. And it took me a little while to discover that, and it was sort of accidental. Point of view... I think is a challenge for writers, a strong point of view. And then the other the other thing I think that is challenging for writers is conflict, but authentic conflict, not contrived conflict. You know, not like a, a conflict you could solve if you actually just went and got a coffee and had a conversation, but a real conflict. And so that's sort of what I stumbled on in James World when I introduced this character, Shell, which really was just, uh, uh, I was just trying to make fun of an ex-girlfriend who annoyed the shit out of me. So I wrote her into the comic as a bitch. And then I realized, whoa, wait a minute, I'm on to something here. This is like, you know, Lucy is to Charlie Brown. Like, this is what Jane was missing, a real nemesis, like somebody to really have conflict with. So that's something I also focus on in my books. But see, if I had started working on the my writing skills if I'd worked on strengthening my writing skills sooner, probably would have discovered that sooner for Jane's World. I mean, I think everybody looks back, if you're talking about just the prose novels, I think everybody looks back at the first book and realizes they could have done things better or differently. But you just sort of have to put that first story out there, you know, and use it as a learning process. Absolutely. you got to get the first one out and don't sit and fret over it for years and years. Yeah. Otherwise, I wouldn't be doing a podcast. I was just like, stuff this, I'm doing a podcast. Let's figure it out. <laughs> Here's a, an interesting thing with your writing, though. You write, A, very fast. Your books are coming out at a huge like speed, which I think is absolutely necessary if you want to carve a niche for yourself, especially in the early days. Apart from that, every book is getting a lot better and fast. Your writing has gone from good to really good 
in the space of a few months. Thank you very much for saying that. How did that come about? What are you doing to make these big improvements? Well, I think I mentioned early on, I have a really great editor, uh, Cindy Cressup, who she's very smart. I don't know. I think I just really listened to her. You know, I think there's a, I think sometimes young writers or people who are just launching into something, you know, what you write, you feel very precious about it. You don't want to change it. You don't want to take feedback. Um, or maybe it's hard for you to take feedback. But I think I've been working as a creative professional for so long that um, I find that some of the best work happens when you're willing to be collaborative and to really synthesize what someone is telling you, like really integrate what they're saying into your work. So, I mean, I really just tried to listen to what Cindy was saying about conflict, about point of view, about voice. And then, I mean, I had a voice and I had things I felt strongly about that I wanted to say. I just needed to do a better job of getting them structured and getting them on paper. And I think she helped me do that. I mean, maybe part of Whiskey Sunrise is that that was a very personal story because I drew a lot from my experiences in coming out in the Deep South and having a religious family. And so maybe maybe part of that personal story comes through. Is she your editor for all your books? Yeah. And how did you find her? She was, uh, I was assigned to her through Bold Strokes, uh, the publisher. How are you finding working with Bold Strokes? It's been great. They're very professional. They're very organized. They deliver what they say they're going to deliver when they do it. They're very clear communicators. I have nothing but good things to say about them. Great. Are you tracking your sales? You know, I haven't been tracking that closely yet because having basically had my own publishing company, I know that it takes like a year for you to really know what's going to happen with a book because you print the book, you get it out to distributors, they get it out to bookstores, bookstores can return books, you know. There's this whole side to the business that makes it really slow for authors to get paid. It takes a while for sort of critical mass to build up for titles, um, which is part of why I wanted to have, as you said, a lot of titles come out in the beginning so that I had a little bit of a library. If someone, you know, liked one of my books, there'd be other books for them to get so I could sort of build an audience. But then why are you going from Missouri Vaughan to Paige Braddock? I kind of just wanted to do a Jane novel. And because I had done these other books, Radcliffe, the woman who owns Bullstrokes, was willing to take a chance and let me do this Jane's World novel. I also thought that I might tap into a little bit of both audiences, you know, that Jane's World fans might take a chance on Missouri Vaughan and vice versa if, you know. Okay. I could be horribly wrong about all of it and <laughs> there will be no crossover because the books are very different, but you know, we'll see. I think authors don't give enough credit always to the versatility of readers. So I think you may be right, but I think it's all going to depend on your marketing strategy for it. Yeah. I think you need to let people know. I'm open to any suggestions about that. You know, the thing with James World is I was working, I was publishing it, and I was basically operating in mainstream comic stores. And the comics community was very welcoming of a lesbian title, but I found it very hard to actually reach lesbian readers who might like comics. You know what I mean? I couldn't quite break into that readership um, with James World via comic shops. So I'm kind of curious to know if doing a novel with Bullstroke will help lesbians find the comic, you know? I don't know. Well, 
from experience, I find it really difficult to find lesbian comics yeah, to even yeah. review because I have a reviewer who's dying to start reviewing comics, but you think I can find any? It's tough, I know. People, the, the, the writing and publishing community are starting to cotton on, okay, this is kind of where the community is. This is how we can kind of tap into it. I think comic books are very much their own little society. Yeah, it's true. And there's a lot of younger, there are a lot of younger women, you know, I say younger, women in their 20s who are, who are coming out of college now who are doing lots of really great work, um, who are lesbian and, you know, are writing lesbian-themed stories. But they're just doing it within the whole mainstream comics world, so. Well, that's an interesting thing I've been chatting to authors about. Do you go mainstream even though you're writing lesbian fiction or do you stick to the lesbian market and there's been success in both spheres okay but anyway back to the interview when you started writing novels you took on the the pen name of Missouri Vaughn why did you do that instead of writing under your own name I was sort of uh I was sort of afraid that if people knew my James World work they might not take the novels seriously you know or that I might not be able to switch genres from comics to novels if you're so well established in a particular genre you know I just so I wanted to put some distance initially I wanted to put some distance between me and my comics work so I picked uh that's my great-grandmother's name which is I've always kind of wanted to use it as a pen name so I finally did it's a great pen name <laughs> yeah no it sounds made up but it's actually my grandmother's name okay so why lesbian fiction mm, I don't know lesbians are just more fun to write about <laughs> There's a payoff for me, the writer, that that's just a lot more fun to write those stories. Mm. Now, your characters are quite traditionally butch and femme. Yeah. How are you finding reaction to that? You know, I don't know. I don't know if I've heard from enough readers to really know. It's more, that's more naturally sort of the dynamic I'm drawn to. So hopefully there's going to be readers that, that that also resonates with. It's also been mostly my personal experience, you know, so it's always better to write what you know. Most of your novels are set on a futuristic dystopian planet Earth where things have just gone bad. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of pit, I kind of when I talk to people about it, I say it's like a it's more of a happy apocalyptic tale though because it's it's past the collapse and things have kind of settled out and you know there's a settled kind of way of life mostly. Yes, that that's actually quite accurate. <laughs> so so where does where did this come from? Well, like I said, it was it really started as an idea for a graphic novel. I, I mean, I had drawings and everything done for it, but I just realized I was never going to have enough time to draw it and write it at the level that I wanted to do it. So I decided to see if I could do it as a novel. And I had basically a trilogy in mind when I pitched the idea to Bold Strokes. I think you even asked me why I did two two or three books in that series in that world and then switched to the Whiskey Sunrise thing. And I, I basically just didn't want to get sort of pigeonholed into one type of story, you know? Mm. Like I wanted readers to know that it's not always going to be a science fiction, it's not always going to be futuristic, that it might just be traditional, you know, romance. And what's the reaction to the switch up? Well, I actually think people are reading Whiskey Sunrise that would not have taken a chance on the other books because it seems to be that there are readers who really just like traditional romance and then readers that like science fiction. I don't know if that's I don't know if that's an accurate assumption, but that's the sense I get. 
But I have heard from readers now who have like read Whiskey Sunrise and said, oh, now I'm going to go back and read the other, your other books because kind of like the way you write. But they weren't going to take a chance on the science fiction for some reason. So are you planning more in that series then? There is one more in that series because if you, for anybody who read the first two books, Ava didn't really get her story in the first two books. And so the, um, the third novel in the series, there's one novella, so, and then there's three novels. So the third novel in the series is called Valley of Fire, and that comes out in October, and that's really where Ava gets her story. I'm glad. Yeah. She needs a story. I'm glad, too. She deserved it. <laughs> yes. She got robbed in the first book, and uh, <laughs> so I needed to go back and make that right. <laughs> that's true. She did. All right, so let's talk about cover design. Yes. So you get to go ahead and tell me how wrong I am about your covers. You may be totally right about the covers. What do I know? You, you, you've, like, been in this field longer than I have. <laughs> um, no, I actually think we've been in the field more or less the same amount of time. Oh, really? The Lesbian Review only started in December 2014. Oh, wow. We have. We're about the same. Yeah. Wow. Okay. My thing about your covers is not your illustration. I love your illustrations. You're a beautiful artist. My thing about your covers is that I don't know if they sell or market enough. Yeah. I'm willing to accept that as a valid criticism, especially the first two books. And I think I think maybe yeah. especially the time before now, maybe that cover didn't capture what that book was about. Yes, I do agree with that assessment. You know what I think, though? I think I'm learning as much about the covers as about the writing, you know, because I think the covers are going to get better. Like, I think I sent you one for a short story that had a much sexier image, and I think I know, I think I'm, it seems like, duh, you couldn't figure this out sooner, but I don't know what was wrong. I'd been drawing comics for too long, and I couldn't break out of it, but I feel like they're moving in the right direction anyway. Absolutely. I, I like your Whiskey Sunrise cover from that point of view. I think it, it tells more about the genre you're looking at than the others, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. I think also having two characters instead of one character, you know, uh, tells more of a story. That's true. Your novella, what was it called again? I'm sorry, Paige, I have a terrible memory. No, no, um, it was called uh, The Ground Beneath. That's right. The Ground Beneath was just the most amazing book. I loved... I absolutely loved that your main character was selfish, like super selfish. Like she wanted to leave when was hitting the fan because she was like, I actually don't know if I can deal with this stuff. <laughs> that was brilliant. That's good. Thank you for saying that. But it takes, it takes, I don't know, it takes guts, I think, to write a character like that. What has been feedback? What's, why did you do that? What's going on? Talk to me about that. <laughs> Well, I think that was part of me sort of figuring out that there needed to be genuine conflict for, for A, for the character to have some growth potential in the course of the novel. They have to have flaws if they're going to have any sort of personal growth and figure things out and become a better person. And it's, it is a balance, though, because you don't want to write a character that's so selfish that they're an asshole that nobody's going to be pulling for them to get their shit together and have a better life. You know what I mean? Absolutely. You don't want to alienate readers, but at the same time, you don't, you want the flaws to feel authentic. Like, yeah, I've known a person that's selfish. I've known a person that can't commit. I've known a person that doesn't want to be tied down to the point where they come off like a but they're not really if you if you allow the reader to see sort of their internal struggle 
That, I think, was the genius of it, because you did. There was the internal struggle, and she had these thoughts. And I could almost feel her hating herself for having these thoughts. <laughs> but the thing is, I've also been there. I've been in that space where I was like, I feel horrible for even thinking this, but this is how I'm feeling. Yeah. So yeah. so for me, that resonated, I think, as one of the most genuine characters I've ever read in in a novel ever. But I think that comes back to your, your whole thing of don't be afraid to do something different. Don't be afraid to use your genuine voice. Yeah. You know, we've all been, we've all had experiences, you know, as kids, as teens, as adults, where people hurt you and they're nice people and they hurt you and you don't mean to. And if you can tap into some of that and what that felt like, and this sort of cause and effect of that in your own life, you know, how that manifested in the next time you had a relationship, like all that stuff. It's like sort of channeling all those personal experiences and putting them on paper. That's tough though, because it's opening, it's really opening up and you've got to be able to put it on there and really explore it. Well, that right there is the biggest difference between doing comics and doing books. Because I remember the first time I was going to do a reading I have never been so nervous. And I've read in public a lot. I've done comic stuff. So I've done I've done talks. I've done, you know, presentations, all of it. But reading something from one of the books is so much more personal because if it's really good, then you were vulnerable when you wrote it. And so to get on stage and read that in front of people and put that vulnerability up there for everybody in your own voice, it's it is tough. Mm, absolutely. But I think because of that, you're going to carve out a big niche for yourself. I do think vulnerability is, is key if it's going to resonate with readers. It's like you're tapping into something real, you know, that everybody experiences, but not everybody knows how to articulate it or give it a voice, you know. Yes. And I think you're absolutely onto something. So keep doing that. <laughs> I'll try. Okay. Is there anything that you would like to add that I haven't covered? Well, you, you, when you sent me, um, you had some comment about sex scenes that I was sort of curious about. All right. So let's talk about sex scenes. You write very unique sex scenes. Yeah. Cause that's what I wanted. I was like, when you said unique, I was like, is that unique bad or unique? No, no, no. Unique. Excellent. <laughs> like here's the thing about lesbian sex scenes for me. You get two types of lesbian sex scenes. You get ones where some chick is <laughs> some other chick's thigh. <laughs> And you get oral sex. And that's pretty much the two sex scenes that you get in lesbian fiction. And I'm just so frustrated by that because I'm like, okay, come on, ladies. Is that the best sex that you have in your life? Because it's not the best <laughs> sex I have in my life. You've got to be creative. What about, Yeah, what is the point of fiction if you can't really embellish? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But then I read your book and you have sex the way that I've had sex. And I'm like, well... This is brilliant. This is really <laughs> unique and interesting. I mean, you had in, um, I think it was your first one. I think it was your first one. You had them, you had the one character flip the other character over onto her stomach. Yeah. So she was lying on the bed on her stomach and I was like, okay, well, great. That alone makes this a unique sex scene in lesbian fiction. <laughs> That's really funny. Sex scenes are so hard to write. They're so hard to write. And you know what's really funny is my wife makes me read them aloud to her and she will actually say, nope, 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 nope. <laughs> that does not sound sexy. Nope. <laughs> She'll just like say, nope, you can't, don't say that. And 
don't call a breast that and don't describe it that way. And then she'll say, she's like a sideline coach. She's like, write, write about how it feels. How does it feel? I don't want an anatomy lesson. I know where all the parts are, you know. So it becomes this really hilarious writing coach kind of moment. <laughs> um, so she'll be happy to hear that you think they're good. <laughs> yes. I actually have a, a really great uh, beta reader, D. Jackson Lee. She's been, she's a great beta reader too. So she helps. She'll say, you know, I'll, I'll sometimes do a cheat where I'll say, and they kiss for a few minutes. And he goes, no, no, no. She's like, I don't ever want to, I don't want to see that line in a book ever. <laughs> <laughs> so it's really, it's good to have people that push you. Do you find the sex scenes the most difficult to write? In the beginning, yes, because because you are trying to write, you know, someone's hand is here and someone's leg is there, but you don't want it to sound like you're describing a game of Twister, you know what I mean? You, you, you want it to be erotic, and mostly you want it to be romantic. You don't want to be labeling so many body parts that you pull the reader out of the moment, which is about this extreme connection between these two people, you know? Because that's what you're trying to get at, is that soul connection. But it's happening in a very physical way. So it's, yeah, it's hard. <laughs> but I agree with you that that's another area where um, there is a lot of repetition in lesbian fiction. And I don't want to be one of those writers. No, please don't. <laughs> one of the biggest things for me is your unique voice in everything. So you've got to keep that. Because that's what's right. going to make you stand out from the rest of, of the authors out there. So yes, no, I like your sex scenes. I like the way that you write very unique stuff. Um, and you need to understand, I only review books I actually enjoy. So anything that gets a review on the site is a book I enjoyed. But it is also my job to say, hey, you know, this could have been better, that could have been better, because that's what reviewers do. No, and that's totally fair. Um, you know, And if you can put your ego, if you can check your ego at the door a little bit, that really can help you improve if somebody's willing to tell you that and give you constructive feedback you know absolutely and i think that's super important i think you have gone from strength to strength because you've done exactly that yeah you you do you can't avoid like you know if you read a so so i think i got a publisher's weekly review on the very first book and it was not awesome and but it's so clearly once again, the cover didn't adequately describe what the book was about, and this guy picked it up thinking that the guy that that was a guy on the cover instead of a butch lesbian, and he was really frustrated that in this apocalyptic landscape, all the people weren't more worried about procreating, and there wasn't enough heterosexual sex in the book. And I was like, oh my god, okay. After I got past that kind of, you know, you sort of have to go in a corner and cry and lick your wounds and then you realize okay i get i get what he's saying <laughs> all he's saying is he's not the right audience for this book no i mean it was like i was i was thinking to myself dude it's a lesbian romance unless sperm is floating through the air you know and people are bumping <laughs> into it nobody's procreating you know it was just like, like <laughs> that's excellent <laughs> i can imagine if i were him i'd want to read about a lot of procreation too but it's not that kind of book well i look forward to jane's world well, thank you very much. Do you have anything else coming out between that and your, what was it, October, November release? No, there is a series of short stories coming out 
one a month starting in November, like so. November, December, January, February. They're four short stories that, if you read them all together, kind of create a, a full narrative arc. They lean toward the humorous dating adventures, yeah. And the first title is Death by Cocktail Straw. The second title is One More Reason to Leave Orlando, which I think sounds like a country song. The third one is Smothered and Covered because the high point of the book takes place in a waffle house. And then the fourth one is called Privacy Glass. And I think that's the one I sent you the cover for that you said you liked. And these short stories, are they characters we've seen? Are they new characters or how is this working? Yeah, they're new characters, but all the characters appear in each of the four stories. And basically, you see them evolve over the course of the four short stories. Are you going to amalgamate them all into one book? That's what I'm kind of hoping. I think, though, there would have to be one more installment for it to be a decent collection for a book. But I tried to make them super funny. Like, there's all kind of crazy, stupid that goes on in each story. So they should be pretty entertaining. And are you writing those under Page or Missouri? Missouri. I don't think Paige can write sex scenes the way Missouri can without getting really embarrassed about it. That's all in my head, I know, but you can just humor me. <laughs> That's excellent. <laughs> so is Paige just going to be for Jane's world then? Yeah. And are you planning a, a second Jane's world? I don't know. I guess they'll. I guess we'll wait and see how the first one sells. So does the first one have a satisfying ending if there's no book two? Yeah, yeah. I want closure as a reader, and I'm a big believer in giving readers closure, so. Fantastic. Okay, Paige, where can people find your work? Missouri Vaughn. You can go to MissouriVaughn.com, and Vaughn is spelled V-A-U-N. That has links to all the Missouri Vaughn books. And then Jane's World is janesworld.us, or, or you can look up pagebraddock.com. But Jane's World has a Facebook page if you look up Jane's World on Facebook. And Missouri Vaughn has a Facebook page. And there's Twitter accounts for both. And I think people will discover that the voices on both those feeds are, are pretty different. I mean, Jane's World is pretty comics-focused. And um, Missouri Vaughn's pretty book-focused. You have quite a, a wicked sense of humor. It comes through in your Jane's World stuff. And it doesn't come through at all in Vaughn stuff. Why is that? Well, I think it will when you read those short stories. I think when I first started doing the Missouri Vaughn stuff, I just, I, I just was feeling like being a little more serious, and because I'd done humor for so long. But then after I did a few books, I was like, you know, humor is good, and you can do a lot with humor, you know. And so, I mean, I had a friend of mine beta read the last installment of the short stories, and she said. At one point, I was laughing so hard I was crying. And she said, and then at one point, it was so sweet that I was crying because I was crying. And I was like, that's the goal right there. That if you can get a reader to experience a full emotional range in a short story, that's perfect. That's what you want. Absolutely. But now, how are you going to pull this off as Vaughn? Because Vaughn's now the serious author. <laughs> Maybe she'll be seriously funny. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, okay, well, I look forward to seeing all of it. Is there anything else you want to say before we stop? I'll just say that, um, you know, having operated in sort of both of these worlds, like comics and the experience I've had in comics is mostly male because I don't know why. For many, many, many years, there weren't that many female cartoonists. That is definitely changing now with, with uh, younger women. 
And I love all my guy comic friends and they've been nothing but awesome and supportive. And so this is not in any way a criticism of the comics community at all. But it has been really unique and different and interesting to suddenly find myself in a community of women, readers and writers. And that has been just a really um, enriching experience so far. It's different. Readers have different expectations. They, 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 um, I don't know how to describe it. It's just, it's been really fun. I feel like my friend circle has expanded exponentially, which has been really terrific. And just a lot of women, a lot of really interesting, strong, talented women. It's been uh, really nice to get to know them. It's funny. I've had the same sort of experience since I've been doing the review thing. A lot of great women, and it's actually just a really nice community. It's like I didn't even know it was out there. I was like, wow, what have I been missing? <laughs> You've been listening to The Right Stuff. My name is Sheena, and our guest today was Paige Braddock. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and rate it. 